Good afternoon. Good afternoon. It is well with our soul, that's for sure. It's a God is good, God is gracious, and what a privilege it is to be one of His children, to have an assurance of a home in heaven. Uh, seems like we sang Blessed Assurance today, too. So those are great things. Uh, this portion of Scripture, you know, it's kind of funny. Sometimes when preparing for one sermon, you're reading some other areas, said, man, we'll have to deal with that a little bit. You know, you think about running, and I think about that when it says here in the New American Standard in Galatians 5 and verse 7, you were running well. There used to be a day when I were running well. Now I run, but I don't run near as well as I used to. But, you know, we don't want where we were running well, do we? Sometimes you have a car, it was running well, but it's not running well now. Well, that's not a good thing. And so that's not a compliment when it says you were running well. The point is, you were where you needed to be. Now why aren't you worried? We've heard sometimes they use where they're backsliders, you know. Um, they're not doing this. I think about uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 15 through 17, and that idea of us all running together in that. I call it the race for grace there. And uh, you're going to have to help those who fall behind. But I think about this point of you were running well. You know, as we said this morning, and I knew I was going to get into this this afternoon a little bit with the idea of who we were. You know, hopefully who we were um, doesn't determine who we are. And we can rise above whatever we used to be if we choose to. And I, it's always interesting to me. You know, I tell people, oh, you know, okay, if you need help with that, help with this. But, you know, I think about that in Scripture. You know, part of it is just making up the decision and doing it. You just got to do it. And the Bible would point that a lot. And I know one of Pat's. Uh, favorite verses. It's also, I don't know how it couldn't be one of, one of your top 10 verses in the New Testament for anybody, but Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ. So I don't need all these man-made organization, all these man-made plans and schemes uh, to overcome. Well, yeah, I've decided, decided everything's an addiction now. Do you know that? Anything you do, you sh so they're addicted to it. Well, yeah, they are addicted to it. They choose to be addicted to it. And, you know, when you have a craving for something, that's called lust, right? That craving's called lust when it's a bad thing. So you look at that, you have a responsibility to control that. You know, that's not easy, right? Self-control, that's the easiest thing you've ever accomplished, huh? It's easier to control my dog. I don't even have one. But it's easier to control a dog than it is yourself. It's easier to control anything than it is yourself. But, you know, the Bible would point out that we've got to examine ourselves, even when we partake the Lord's Supper like we did earlier today. Well, I wanted to examine everybody else in this room. This is self-examination time. And sometimes we do that and we don't like what we see, do we? Well, then that point would be, well, then you better fix it or you'll be eating and drinking condemnation to yourself there in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. But I want to talk a little bit about this is who you were, and we need to not were running well. We still need to be running well. So look at a couple of them with me real quick. Turn with me back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and I'm going to read 9, 10, and 11. 9, 10, and 11 of 1 Corinthians 6. Or do you not know 
that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. No, we know that. Do not be deceived. So now he's going to give us a list of some who are living and are unrighteous. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor infeminates, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, let me make sure you know, there's no room for discussion on any of those sinful practices if you live in them. You can argue that with me all you want, but you'd just be wrong. It says, if you live that life, you continue in those sins, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. I don't make this stuff up. It says it right there. Now, you go on to verse 11, and this is important. This is in the church in Corinth. Such were some of you. So there's people in Corinth who used to be thieves. There are people in Corinth who used to be covetous. There are people in Corinth who used to be homosexuals. There are people in Corinth who used to be infeminates. Some people say infeminates. Yeah, that, it would work both ways. But that's a guy that acts like a woman or dresses like a woman. You get in America, if you don't watch out, you think that's half of society now. It's just a loudmouth, small percentage is what it is. That's how it always has been. But you look at that. He says, but such a, can you stop those sins? Yes. You can, you can have been a thief and stop stealing, become a Christian and stop stealing, and you're okay. You can be a homosexual who stops practicing homosexuality, and you can be okay. I don't make this stuff up. It says it. Such were some of you. But you've been washed, but you've been sanctified, but you were justified. Uh, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. So it's okay. We're not proud of it, but it's okay if you were those things and now you're what God's called you to be. Look at another one with me. Turn with me over to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians 1. Listen to this, starting at verse 6, and we'll just go through verse 9 won't go through this whole area because it's interesting. He says, I'm amazed. Now, whenever my mom, you say, Ken, I'm amazed at you. That wasn't going to be good. Okay. So when Paul says, I'm amazed, it's not going to be good for the church in Galatia. I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by grace for a different gospel. So you were running well, but now you're a deserter. If you serve in the military, is that what you want? You were a deserter. Now, that doesn't mean you went and ate more dessert than everybody else. That means you bailed. You know, kind of, not every time, but I don't know. Whenever I hear the word deserter, also another word that comes to me is kind of coward. But you were a deserter. Which is really, this is not a different gospel, because which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Is that still going on today? Are there people who still distort what it says and try to make it something different? Try to make it sound good. Try to make it sound, try to make you the bad guy because you're going to do what's right. Been in that boat before. But he says, let me make it plain. But even if we, the apostles, or an angel from heaven, should preach you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. 
If you missed that point, verse 9, as we have said before, so I say now again, if any man is preaching you a gospel contrary to what you have received, let him be accursed. Is this preaching the truth and the accuracy of the gospel important? The word accursed is big. It's not good to be accursed. I still do tell people in English translations, I like the 1901 American Standard here the best. It probably used the best English word, and it used the word anathema. So he's just saying, if you're going to take and you're going to claim that this is what the Bible teaches, and you're not going to stay on the old paths of truth and proclaim what's always been the truth, it would be better for you if you'd never been born. That's what it literally means. It doesn't get more serious than this. So you were running well. I think of another one when I think about your running well. I think about another one like 1 John 1 and verse 7, if we walk in the light. Now you'll make progress walking, but you make more progress when you run, don't you? Well, some people, some people fall down when they start running. But no, you look at that, and, but running is making faster progress. Have we, we can see growth in people, but it doesn't sometimes seem like some people just grow in who they are spiritually in leaps and bounds. I mean, they're just on fire and they're doing everything they can and their growth is just so evident. It's amazing. That's how we want to be, right? You know, it's, I'm good. And I, I use this statement all the time, you know, um, inch by inch is a cinch and yard by yard's hard. So you can try to accomplish too much. But you, you know what? When you fall down and skin your knee, you just got every once in a while you'll see some. I was just saw one the other day, a YouTube video of Special Olympics. Watch these people run, and this one little boy, he falls down, and all the other runners stop to help him get up. And then they all, well, they must not know. They've got a problem. They don't even know how important it is to win. But maybe just their idea of winning is different than ours. And maybe they have more concern for others than even succeeding in themselves. Wouldn't this world be terrible if everyone was like that? <laughs> you know, you just think about that. You know, I tell people I'm competitive, and, and um, we heard that last week even, you know, I like to win. You know, my statement, I've won and I've lost, and winning's better. I like to win. I don't believe you need to win at all costs, but I also don't agree with, well, it's not whether you win or lose, it's how you play the game. Well, it is about winning and losing. It's also how you play the game. All of it counts. You've heard me say before, if you don't keep score, that's practice. That's not a game. You're not, no one wins and nobody loses. How do you know if you achieve what you need to achieve? Even in the gospel, does it talk a lot about winning through the New Testament? That we are more than conquerors? That with the victory we have and our faith is the victory? Uh, even that we win souls? So it's important. Eternally, it's very important. But sometimes we need to pick up from a slow crawl. You know, I think about the, every time you, someone sings that song, and I like it a lot, I want to be a worker for the Lord. But I always think about my step-grandpa Emmett, when he would always say, it's about time we quit wanting and got to work. You can want to be a worker while you sit in the easy chair all you want to be, but until you grab it and you get blisters and calluses and a sore back, you don't get any work done. So, yeah, we want to, you got to want to first, but then you got to get off the want and get to going. 
Uh, turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, this idea of running. I just want to pull a few passages that I like about running or that treat some real significance about it. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9, uh, verse 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives a prize? Run in such a way as to win. Everyone who competes in games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable, but we an imperishable. So I want you to think about that. So here it is. If we watch someone who is, let's say they're an Olympic athlete. Do they live a little different than we live? Do they spend a little more time in extensive exercise than you do? Do they eat different kinds of food than you? Do they not eat some of the kinds of foods you eat? Okay, you look at that. I mean, they're in training. You know why? Because they're training to win. You know what? Christianity's kind of like that. There's things that everyone else do that we don't do. And there's things they don't do that we do. Because we're planning on winning. We're planning on receiving that crown. Not an imperishable one, but the crown of righteousness. And so winning's a big thing. Turn with me back over to Galatians real quick. Galatians 2, and look down just right at verse 2. And let's understand when we think back to Galatians 5, here's what, they're being attacked. The church is being attacked by the Jews. And the Jews are trying to bind things on them that aren't binding, the Gentile brethren especially. They're trying to say, yeah, it's okay that you confess Jesus and you repented believing in him and you were baptized for the forgiveness of sins. But now you've also got to be circumcised. What? That's old covenant law. That was nailed to the cross. So they're trying to bind something that they don't have the right to bind. And a matter of fact, as soon as you bind that, it does away with what you did. Because now you're trusting in something besides the blood of Christ in a watery grave of baptism. And, you know, if you bind, and he'll get into this into Galatians 2, we don't have time to cover it all. If you bind one of the old covenant laws, how many of them are you bound to? So now we got to find, here we are in, living in the United States of America. Some people want to get on the Sabbath today. Well, you know, we need to be worshiping. Well, I guess we got to find someone from the tribe of Levi. I don't even know how to find them. I can't even find the temple in Jerusalem anymore because it's been destroyed. So how in the world are we even supposed to offer sacrifices that the old covenant? It's impossible to practice old covenant law anymore. Even if you wanted to, it's impossible. And so we're just praise be to God that he established a new covenant in Jesus Christ. But here in verse 2, he says... It was because of the revelation that I went up and submitted to them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, because Paul's being questioned, but I did so in private to those who were of reputation, the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem, for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. I know I'm supposed to go preach the gospel to the Gentiles and that this happened this way, but some brethren is showing up trying to bind some of the old law. Paul's no man's coward. He just walked right into it all. Well, I got to see where we're at on this stuff. He said, the last thing I want to do is run in vain. 
run and there's no finish line, run just to be running, run and just get tired. You know, they didn't run for exercise. When you walk everywhere you go, let's just say here, I'll make my point. Everyone leaves their car sitting here and walk home this afternoon. Will you have to go to a gym if you do that every day? You won't have to be going, even those that live reasonably close still got some distance to walk. That's how they lived every day. They didn't have to go to the gym for exercise. Their life was exercise. Okay? So you look about that. That always reminds me of the boy who wanted a car. And I remember, I won't tell you the whole story, but his dad always said, you know, well, Jesus walked everywhere he walked, everywhere he went. And yes, he did. And so... We look, but jump on later. I think this is an important verse not to leave out. Go to um, Galatians 5 and verse 4. Making an analogy back to circumcision of cutting something off. He says, you have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by the law. Listen to this. You have fallen from grace. So if they go back, once they're Christians, to trying to keep the old law, they are no longer in Christ. They are no longer saved. They are now lost. They've been severed. They have fallen. You'd always think it's interesting. People are just crazy. Well, I remember one guy trying to, he had the belief of once saved, always saved. He says, well, see, it doesn't say fell out of grace. It says you, he was close, but he fell from it. I said, buddy, I'm going to eat your lunch. So we looked at a few passages, and Peter always gets them when Paul withstands him to his face because Peter stood condemned. So he was saved, and now he stood condemned. And they always used to ready to stop talking to me about them. But of course, fall from grace, that means you were at grace and you fell from it. You fell away from it. And so we look, uh, passages like Philippians 2, verses 14, 15, and 16, again, talking about running. But we don't want to run in vain. We want to run with endurance, as Hebrews 12 and verse 1 says. It takes endurance to run. You know, if you just have to run from here to your car, that's not bad. But if you have to run from here to St. Clair, you're going to have to take a few deep breaths. That's going to be a little endurance. Uh, sprints were easier because they only last a short amount of time. They start slapping marathons on. It's like, here we go. It's going to be side ache before we get going very far. Endurance. Run with endurance. Is Christianity just a sprint or do you have to hang in there to the end? You got to keep on keeping on, don't you? Sometimes you'll be wore out. Sometimes you'll be winded. You know, I always tease people, and I know people who've tried to show me different than that. I said, you watch people who run for exercise. You know, you never, you, you watch all the runners when you look. See how many of them are smiling when they're running? Ain't not a one of them. There's nothing fun about it. I, I see people I've told that to, and they see me coming, and they start smiling. And don't put that fake smile on. You've been smiling all the rest of the time you're running. But it's endurance, and endurance takes work and takes you hanging with something and not quitting. Let's look at another one. Uh, Philippians, uh, excuse me, 1 Peter chapter 4. That one back to Philippians. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. Scripture reads, In all this they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excess of dissipation, and they malign you. 
Do people ever falsely accuse you and say things bad against you because you don't do the same ignorant things they do and you didn't go along with them, so all they got to start putting all kinds of attacks on you that aren't right and justified? Been there and done that. Dealt with that in the church and out of the church. He says, don't be surprised. Why, why does that surprise you? Why does that surprise? He said, don't be surprised at that. How come we always act like we're surprised when that happens? When he said, don't be surprised at that. He says, but if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but he is to glorify God in this name. You know, as soon as I think about that, how'd they treat the apostles? Not so good. How'd they treat the prophets? Not so good. How'd they treat first century preachers? Not so good. How'd they preach Jesus? Treat him? Not so good. So why do we think we should be treated so good? When we're not treated so good, maybe we're in the right company all of a sudden. You know, if you, if you, if you, here's the list. And we start listing the prophets of the Old Testament. And we list New Testament prophets. And we list Jesus. And we list the apostles. And we list some of them preachers like Stephen. And then your name makes that list. Are you glad your name made the list? That's the right list to make. Now, we don't want to be persecuted. We're not thriving in being mistreated. But if it's for being a Christian, then so be it. That's why Paul says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. They tried to get him to be ashamed. I'm not ashamed of it. Was he mistreated? Oh, if you need to, we'll turn over and read about how he was beaten and scourged and stoned. But he just couldn't, couldn't get him to stop, could you? Also, one passage, whenever I read Run, I have to think about a few of them. But one of them I think about in Acts 8, Philip as he ran to the chariot. So let's say all of a sudden we hear about someone who's wanting to... I'm just going to pick one. They want to study the Bible. They think they're about ready to obey the, the Bible, obey the gospel, and put on Christ, but they can't meet till 2 o'clock in the morning, tomorrow morning. You run into it? I say, man, I got to work tomorrow. I got, it's Labor Day tomorrow, man. It's a holiday. What do you think? Let's even make it different than that. Okay? They need to study the Bible, and it's December the 25th, and they can only study at 8 o'clock in the morning. Philip would have ran to teach the gospel. Is that who we'd do? Or say, man, I got these people coming and this people coming, and I got this going on, or we run to do it. Wow. We've got to run, and we've got to run well. Look at another one here. There's not time to cover all this whole passage that we started with. But you look at it, even in this first verse, here in verse 7, it says, You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Who hindered you from obeying the truth? I love this one verse we're going to turn to so well in the New American Standard. And I've looked it up plain in the Greek to make sure it's accurately translated because not all translation do the same thing with this verse. But go to John 3.36. John 3.36. Now, you know John 3.16, right? Because people want to take that verse, pull it out of the Bible, and act like that's all you got to do. You just believe in Jesus, you'll be saved. They forgot 3-5 through five, where you got to be born again of water and spirit. But look at verse 36. 
He who believes in the Son has eternal life. Oh, and they say, see, I told you all you got to do is believe. Hold on. But he who does not obey, some translation says do not believe. The word obey is a much better translation. He who does not obey the Son will not see life. But the, so you have to believe and obey. So it doesn't take just belief. It takes belief and obedience. So who hindered you from obeying? Jesus says, John 14, 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Is he saying if you love him, you obey him? So when I don't obey Jesus, what's the problem from John 14, 15? My lack of love for Jesus. John, excuse me, Matthew 7 and verse 21. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter to the kingdom of heaven, but he that does, well, there's obedience again, right? Who's keeping you from obeying? This next one I'm going to turn to just because I want you to see it. I love this passage. 1 John 5, 1 John 5. I'll pick up at verse 1. We'll read just a few verses. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of Him. By this, we know that we love the children of God. By this, we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and observe His commandments. How do I know I love you? Well, I love God and keep His commandments. That's how I know I love you. So the most loving thing I can do to you is love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God. Oh, now I get to learn about God loving me. This is the love of God. This is, when I first read it, it seemed so peculiar. This is the love of God. What? That we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. Now wait just a minute. So God's love for me is me keeping His commandments? Let me tell you what. If God had not instructed you with the commandments it took to spend eternal life in heaven, that would be the most unloving God there ever was. He's told you exactly what you must do to have eternal life. How much more loving can He be than that? So the most loving thing He's done is give us the commandments. It always interests me through the years of preaching, especially 20, 30 years ago, I'd hear people say, well, you know, we need to preach commandments a lot less and love a lot more. And even when I was a young preacher, I said, what'd you say? We need to preach commandments a lot less and love more. I said, you do understand they're the same thing, don't you? What? And I always turn to this passage. I said, this says... God's love is His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. Why aren't they burdensome? Because of the great reward you're going to receive. Does that mean they won't be hard? No. Does that mean sometimes you don't get in a scrap and get skinned up? No. But it means in the long run, let me tell you what. Let's say, and I know time doesn't exist there, so just go with me. Give me a little liberty here. You're sitting in the spiritual recliner in heaven, your thousandth year there. You've been sitting in the spiritual recliner, just singing praises to God, just enjoying eternity, and the little bumps and bruises and the way you people treated you on earth, how much is that going to bother you then? Not at all. 
we live by faith and not by sight. Wow. We need to remind each other of that all the time. Just a few more and it's yours. Turn with me to another one I, I like so well. Uh, Second Timothy chapter 4. You guys are going to know this passage well. Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Listen to this. Paul writes, I fought the good fight, indeed he had. I've kept the, I've finished the course, I've kept the faith. That's what I've done. And in the future, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. How do we know they loved his appearing? They knew what he said. They fought, they finished, and they've kept also. Fought, finished, and kept. And in the future, that crown of righteousness awaits us. Now turn back to this passage in Galatians. I want to see one more thing real quick, and it's all yours. So he says, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. This isn't from God. This isn't from Christ. This isn't from faithful apostles or faithful gospel preachers. But then he says this, a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. A little leaven leavens all. Now he's talking about baking bread. Well, not really. But they didn't buy no store-bought bread. These people knew how yeast worked in bread. And they know a little leaven leavens a whole lump of dough. What's he saying? He says, it doesn't take much false teaching or sinful practice to influence everybody. Don't put up with that stuff. So I have to end over in a passage that makes that so clear. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I don't have time or we'd look at the whole chapter. The church is being reprimanded for accepting people living in sin. Okay? Horrendous. But if you look at this, I want to show you a couple things about 11. Go to verse 6. Because they'd accepted these people. Paul in verse 5 already said, I've, I've delivered this man to Satan already. I don't know what church in Corinth is doing, but I've already withdrawn from him. He says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens all? You leave this sinner in the midst of the church. He says, clean out the old leaven so that you will be a new lump, just as you are, in fact, unleavened, for Christ our Passover has been sacrificed. He says, you can't leave sin in the midst. Let's just say, I don't know. We can pick on anybody. It's probably Patrice's turn. So Patrice, she's a heavy drinker. We, she, just, she just really lays them back, you know. Whenever you run into her, you know, she's tipping back about 24 cans a day. Okay? Uh, and we just like Patrice, so we're just going to let it slide. Patrice only want to get judged by this? Not when we let slide, we are. By not helping her to be able to overcome that sin... By condoning Agla, well, see, we're so loving, we're going to let that go on. That's not loving. That's ungodly and unloving. He says, a little leaven leavens a whole lump of dough. He says, and you know what? You'll always see if you look at it, 
Nothing ever goes from one to a hundred like that. It inches up there. And so it gets in a little, and where's it going? So let me show you one other verse in this. Go to the very last verse of the chapter, verse 13. But those who are outside God judge. Are we talking about non-Christians here? Let me tell you what. If you talk to every non-Christian you know about how they should quit drinking, you're going to get wore out. First of all, why are you concerned about that? First thing you ought to be concerned about, of course they're going to have to give up drinking, but they don't even, they haven't, they're not even Christians. They don't even know how to become a Christian yet. Why are you dealing with this stuff? It's like trying to teach someone when you first meet them that we need to partake of the Lord's Supper on the first day of every week, but you've never even taught them they need to hear the gospel, believe the gospel, confess the gospel, repent, and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Who cares if they know about the Lord's Supper yet? I'm guaranteeing you in the New Testament they learn the gospel in a short amount of time and then you teach them to serve all that I command you. That's what it says. So we look at this. It says we're not outsiders. They're ungodly. God will take care of them. But here he says in the church, remove the wicked man from among yourselves. You can't let that wicked man, this man's living in sin. He's living in gross immorality. And he says, you can't put up with that anymore. He can't be allowed to be part of the church unless he repents. That's how plain it is. Now, I know it says a lot more than that. But the point is, does a little leaven really leaven the whole lump of dough? Yes. You know, there was singers a long time ago. They're not my favorite singers, but they sang one bad apple. Don't spoil the whole. But you know what? You leave a bad apple in the bucket and it'll ruin them all. It does too. You know why? Because a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. And so we have to remember that. So he says, you were running well. Get Pick up the heat. Pick it up. Pick it up. We need to get back to running. Don't let them hinder you from obeying the truth, anyone. And don't put up with silliness and ungodliness. And don't put up with false teaching and people trying to bind things that shouldn't be bound. Because a little leaven will leaven the whole lump of dough. You know, I always try to tell people 1 Corinthians 5, when it talks about church discipline, is twofold. One, to save that person's souls, but the other to keep the rest of the church saved, keep it pure. Both of them are equally important. And that's how come he's very specific on how to deal with those things. But the first thing you got to do is you got to make sure you yourself are still running well. So you keep it oiled. You know, I, I like someone told me a long time ago, this leather Bible, that the back on it wears a long time. If you keep it in your hand, because the oil from your hands help keep the leather. Well, you can see you can see mine. It's war where I grab onto that thing. But isn't that amazing? We've got to spend time in God's word and we've got to obey it. And we've got to obey it and run well. So we don't just need to want to be workers for the Lord. We need to be on fire and working for him. And we need to make sure we do all we can to stay right with God and help our brethren be right with God. If we can help anyone here this afternoon in their relationship with God in any way, please come as we stand and sing.